Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel Sunday mornings on the score. Jerry talked about, you know, wanting to get this thing turned around as quickly as possible, but obviously that doesn't have a number on it necessarily. Is he okay if this turnaround takes a year or, or more than that uh, to, to get it to where you guys want it to be? I think it starts with, I mean, it's certainly a measured approach. You know, I want to be, I want to be very wise on, on, on the moves that we make for a 2014, uh, knowing that, you know, where our minor league system is, where our prospects are maturing, um, certainly our major league players as well. So, um, you know, it's, it's sometimes more of a methodical approach uh, that needs to take place. Um, but I, I, it's tough for me to, to, to really go out there and say this is, this is the bar for us next year and this is the bar for the following year. I think more than anything, we're just chipping away and trying to improve our roster and really preaching what we're about uh, as a Chicago White Sox organization and getting buy-in from the players and build from there. That is Chris Getz after addressing the media, in the midst of addressing the media this past week, at the GM meetings in Arizona, which were canceled because of a stomach bug. That must have been unfortunate for a lot of people, including the plumbers of Arizona. I am Matt Spiegel having empathy for the plumbers of Arizona. Good morning, everybody. If you're like, where's my Bears pregame show? The Bears played on Thursday. Remember that? That means I get to do hit and run. Yes, on a Sunday morning. Why not a little baseball on a sunny and beautiful November morning? And we welcome in Chuck Garfine to the score hotline which is brought to you by circa resort and casino in las vegas home of the world's largest sports book chuck good morning to you thank you for the time on a november sunday how are you i'm good i'm looking out the window the sun is out it's the middle towards the end of november in chicago so uh, i've got a warm feeling inside weather-wise i want a warm feeling uh spring training uh for the white Sox. <laughs> Uh, hopefully I have one there. There's a lot of work to do between now and then for sure. And we can talk all about it. Yeah, man. I, I stepped outside of the, uh, of the building today and I was like, we could play in this. Let's go. You know, <laughs> yeah. could totally, could totally play in this. Um, what, where do you have any warm feelings? Um, I, I mentioned just before the break that it, I, I like Chris Getz saying, I don't like our team. Welcome to the club, pal. You know, it's like, yes. Yeah, so, so, you know, regardless of how he got here and the nepotism or, you know, the, the insular nature of the White Sox, you got the opportunity if you're Chris Getz. You may never get a job like this again. This, this is your chance. So I feel like he's at least 
voicing aggressiveness, and we're seeing some aggressiveness within the moves themselves. What, what do you think about the approach so far? Yeah, well, I'll go off what he said at the GMEs and what he has said so far, and some of his actions as well. Uh, I'm loving the words. I'm loving the words. He clearly recognizes that last year's team was not a good one. And he's, he likes players on the team, but they did not work together as a team. He didn't like the team. And there were attractive pieces on this team. Look what they did at the trade deadline. They traded away almost half their pitching staff. So, uh, and, and he's saying what you feel, I feel, many fans feel about what this team needs to be, what they need to focus on, play discipline, defense, speed, um, throwing strikes, right? Base running. So they've gone, he's gone about this in a very methodical way from the front office with the hires that he's made. Uh, a couple of surprises. I mean, Grady Sizemore, like out of nowhere, like, oh, Grady Sizemore, he's like, he's been coaching. Well, not exactly. He was doing some player development in 2022 with the Diamondbacks. Josh Barfield, new assistant GM, is familiar with him. Um, but, you know, I think and one thing that gets said, which really stood out for me, was talking about Sizemore. He noticed that for four seasons, when Grady Sizemore was like the guy with the Indians, then the Indians, he had over 700 plate appearances in four consecutive seasons. And he said, Getz said something to the effect of, I think this will be really good for our ecosystem. Basically telling the players, hey, by the way, you, there is value in playing when you're not 100%. We want you guys out there 150, 160 games if possible, like he did. He can set an example. So these are words right now. What comes next over the next few months are actions. You've seen a couple of the actions with who they've subtracted with Tim Anderson, Liam Hendricks. But the additions, let's see what happens from there, and then we can have a better idea. Because he says, yeah, we're going to go about this kind of methodically. So depending on what kind of moves he can make this offseason, that will dictate, in my opinion, how good this team can be next season. Uh, a lot of good stuff in there. I do love I, I agree about that nugget with Sizemore, because now there's going to be a person on the coaching staff who is an example of just going out there and busting your ass to play as often as possible. Grady Sizemore's career damaged by injuries and it killed him. Like emotionally, psychologically, he's, he wants to play. So, yeah, having that instinct around is a good thing. One other thing in terms of the words, um, when he was asked about Yohan Moncada, he didn't guarantee him third base. Didn't just hand him third base. Even though he's making $24 million, he said, well, he's played elsewhere for us, and you know maybe we'd have him learn the outfield. He did admit that he's very, very good at third base, but it's not like – I mean, you got to do what's best for the team and just locking somebody in who hasn't produced and been available would not be a sensible thing to do. So I interpreted what he said as he will be our third baseman, but, you know, we might see him play a little bit of second, a little bit of first, a little bit of outfield. And I'm hearing Chris saying this. And when I first heard it, I'm like, has Chris Getz lost his mind? Are you serious? Yoan Mankata playing first base in the outfield? And then I thought about it, and I don't know this for a fact, but maybe this was Getz sending a message to Yoan Mankata saying, hey, uh, yeah, you, you're not well, – you were kind of touching on this, Matt. Like, yeah. you're, not, you're not as locked in with this roster as you might have been feeling the last few years. Right. I would like to think if they don't trade him, and that's a tough trade to make considering he's owed $30 million. There's a, like a $24 million for next year, and there's like a 5 or $6 million buyout for the following year. You know, if they don't trade him, if you're if there is ever going to be a season over the last few where Moncada is going to actually have a good year, 
<laughs> in theory, it would be this one coming up because he'll be a free agent. He is hopefully inspired to go out there offensively, defensively, and have a great one. But, we'll, you know, that remains to be seen. So I'm trying to figure out who's on the White Sox depth chart um, among starting pitchers. All right? Like, like, like... You. You're third. <laughs> I might I'm be. I, I might be. I, I mean, who do we have? Kopech, assuming health. And that Tuki Toussaint, like, is Dylan Cease going to be traded? Is it um, who's the who's the guy? Jake Eater they got in the Jake Berger trade. Is he, no, a, he no, is he locked no. and loaded as an opening day guy? Like, no, who, who's pitching? No. Who's pitching? I, I will get said of all the guys that they acquired, the pitchers they acquired at the deadline. The guy who is a step above everybody else is Nick Nostrini, who they got from the Dodgers. I, he is going to show up at spring training competing for a job in the rotation. But, that, but you got to see. That, that, Go that, that's the Lance Lynn. It's a Lance Lynn acquisition is Nick Nostrini, right? Yes, correct, correct. Yeah. And that's on paper, that is looking like a really good trade for the White Sox because they got Nostrini. They got Jordan Leisure, who is a reliever, and he was great. I Granted, it's the Arizona Fall League, but he was lights out in the Arizona Fall League. He will be competing for a spot in the bullpen. He's got a great arm. I would be... I would not be surprised if both of them made the roster. I would say Leisure uh, has a step ahead of Nostrini because, you know, Nostrini is going to try to be a starter. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's Cease, assuming they don't trade him. And, you know, listen, uh, get said there are no untouchables on this roster, including Luis Robert Jr., but they're not trying to trade Luis Robert Jr. I am sure there will be many, many teams calling up Chris Getz for the next few weeks and months trying to acquire Dylan Cease, but for them to trade Dylan Cease, okay, then now you have Kopech in your rotation, maybe. Yeah. So uh, that's going to have to bring back a starter. I mean, there's a lot of puzzles, uh, puzzle pieces to this whole thing. Yeah, Tuki Toussaint. And then, you know, let's go ahead and bring in some free agent pitchers. There's a lot of, there are a lot of pitchers and um, obviously some big names, a lot of small names. I can't see them being at the top of the market, but there's a lot of guys you know, for this to work next season, for this to work, you know, they have to be very calculated about the guys they bring in. And I keep saying, like, if it was me, and easy for me to say this as John Q. Sportscaster, hmm. if it was me, I would bring in, like, okay, I'm going to find some super friends, like superheroes. And what I mean by that is, what are you selling on the White Sox to some of these free agents? Say, look, we need a core of guys who have been here before, who have won before, who may not be coming off the great seasons they've had in the past, but, you know, they're probably going to get one-year deals, okay? And so they are inspired to win, and they are club, great clubhouse guys. Bring me a group of these guys. Hmm. And the Cubs kind of did this a little bit last year with some of their calculated signings I was watching from afar, like, oh, Trey Mancini, okay, I like that, Eric Hosmer, like things like that. You get a group of guys who would buy in together and come into this clubhouse. That is how you can turn this yeah. around. I'm not saying win a World Series. I get you. Turn things around. Get in the right direction. Yeah, no, I hear you, Chuck. I mean, it, it's funny that the two guys you mentioned or you're thinking about are guys who didn't last the year for the Cubs. But I know what you mean because you're talking about solid vets who know how to show up every day and do their work. And you need to rebuild the culture with with people like that, you know? And, yeah. and I, I completely understand what you're saying. I look at pitchers in that regard. 
I mean, I don't know what kind of deal Michael Lorenzen's going to get, but that dude can pitch at a very yeah. high level, right? I mean, that that's yeah. it, somebody like that. Michael Waka was really good with the Padres um, for much of the year, and is, I mean, both those guys are thirty-two, and they'll they'll be a version of Mike Clevenger that's not so distasteful. That kind of thing. Yeah, and I'm not trying to say the White Sox are winning a World Series, but the comparison, the comp that I can think of is the winter of 04 into 05 when like Kenny Williams is bringing in Jermaine Dye and AJ Przinsky and trading for Scott Pitsednik. And these are like, they just seemed like spare parts. Right. Yeah. And everyone's like, all right. Yeah. Okay. Are we going to get behind this? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Let's see what happens. So the point is, is that Chris gets needs, and this is his first year as a general manager. So, you know, it's, it's a tall task to pull something like this off, but he really needs to, in my opinion, like, be very, very crafty, and you want to hit on as many of these little signings as possible um, to blend in with what you have already here. Let me give you a name. He's old. He's old, but I really like him. And he decayed offensively, but I still really like him. And I don't know how close Colson Montgomery is to being the full-time shortstop, and you could answer that as part of this. But somebody's going to sign Brandon Crawford and have him play a beautiful defensive shortstop and bat lefty in their lineup for a year, maybe two. And I know he's old, but I really like that guy. So I'm just throwing that at you. Yeah, so I have looked into this. And Jordan Montgomery will not be – well, I shouldn't know. I don't want to say that. Colson. Col- Colson. Jordan's <laughs> I mean, the pitcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Colson. Colson Montgomery I don't think will be the starting shortstop. Uh I think it would be wise for the White Sox to sign a, a Brandon Crawford type to start the season, actually be in spring training with Colson Montgomery, yeah, right? Yeah. And then start the season as the opening day shortstop. My guy is Nick Ahmed from the Diamondbacks. Ah, okay. All right. So he is someone who uh, I believe won two gold gloves, I think in 2018, 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, did not have a great year offensively, but plays – Really solid shortstop. The White Sox don't need gold glove shortstops or or players. They need guys who make the routine plays. You make the routine plays, you're going to be in a lot of games. You don't have to be making the sports center web gem highlight plays all the time. They need solid defense, certainly up the middle, which they have not been getting. And Nick Ahmed was a huge part of the Diamondbacks team. He helped mold Gerardo uh, Perdomo. This season, they did DFA him in September. So he was not around, but guys were still talking about him sure. after they let him go in September. That's the kind of guy who I would like to see the White Sox sign. Yeah, you know, and it'll be, it, it, there'll be some people like that. And if you f- just filling out a roster to be decent as you kind of revamp what you're doing theoretically below and cleaning things up. In this crap-ass division where the Twins might be cutting payroll, we just learned over the past week, it's like, you know, I don't know how hard it's going to be to be competitive, frankly, depending on some of the signings. Like, it's a low bar, but the idea of them being surprisingly competitive is possible in my mind, Chuck. Yeah, but, and it's a big... B-U-T, yeah. uh, they, a lot of things have to go right, and a lot of guys have to come in. I mean, it, it is tough to come in and just change the clubhouse culture, and we talk so much about culture. And I don't know if you caught what Pedro Grafol said earlier this week about his decision yeah. that he made in dealing with the White Sox culture. 
But actually, it was a question that I asked him about it, you know, because he had, you know, he was with the Royals and he noticed that, you know, he could tell when he was with the Royals what kind of team the White Sox were going to be facing that day, depending on, uh, on how they were kind of their energy as he took the field that day. So I figured, OK, he's going to come in. He's going to recognize this and he's going to do something about it. And he admitted and said this. He goes, listen, the culture was already in place. I had to make a decision. This was him talking. I had to make a decision about whether I should trust the clubhouse that's already here or do I drop the hammer? Hey, hey Chuck, well, guys, we have it. Let's play it because I'm glad yeah. you brought it up. Here's Grafol's answer to that very question from you. The culture was already in place. However, um, you know, I had to make decisions on how I wanted to approach this thing. And uh, I obviously made the wrong one. You know, um, if, I, if I look back at it now, I, my approach would have been a little different when it came to, you know, the culture and, and when it came to the discipline and, um, you know, just how, how I approached it, really. Um, you know, there was two ways I could go. I could, you know, trust the clubhouse and let's get, let's, let's get this done because, you know, we have guys that have been here a long time or, um, you know, come in and, you know, drop the hammer with, without me knowing anybody, you know, and, um, there was only two ways to go, you know, and, and I chose, you know, uh, I chose what I chose. I chose to, you know, to. So, so he went on a little bit, but we wanted to play that for people. I, um, I hate that. I hate that, Chuck. At the time, we all knew they needed the hammer. It, it couldn't have been more obvious. They needed the hammer with a little love on the backside, of course, but they needed the hammer, didn't they? I thought it was incredibly obvious that that's what they needed. Right. So I appreciate his candor. I appreciate his honesty and that he said it and he, he believes it and he said it publicly. But yes, it gets me. Doesn't Chris gets me. It gets me that that is how he approached, how he approached this season. We all knew they needed some kind of disciplinarian because what happened with Tony was he came in with her credentials, but he chose, he chose to be, you know, the kind of guy who's going to be, Friendly. He didn't really drop the hammer, as far as I can tell, in ways that needed to be done. So they needed someone like that. And Pedro basically used the blueprint of what Tony did. And I get it as a first-time manager not wanting to carry that kind of weight, but that was needed. And honestly, if it was me this year at spring training, I'm going to say, hey, guys, if I'm Pedro Grafal, I'm be like, hey, guys, uh, I'm on the hot seat. I want to keep my job. And if you want to keep your job, this is how we're going to do it. And if you don't go on with this, if, you don't, if you're not going to be part of this, changes will be made. And I will sit your butt down, and you're not going to play. Like, they need that kind of attitude. Or maybe the last year's team really needed it. I think they're going to bring in players who are going to be, going to be buying in more. But I feel like that was a wasted opportunity. And what happened was April rolled around. Things did not go right. And instead of him... At that point, changing his mind and dropping the hammer, he just let the clubhouse get worse and worse and worse. He didn't know it was going to happen that way, but that's how it all materialized, and it's unfortunate. Yeah, it's, it's it, and it's the it, it's brutal because frankly, it ends up n- wasting the final dying yeah. breath of a winning window, and and it's it's it's. It's insane to me. Um, so I'm really glad you pointed that out, and we got a chance to play that. All right, Chuck, you're the best. Um, anything else? Any crazy prediction you want to make in terms of uh, free agency? Anything you have not mentioned that you think is going to possibly happen for this White Sox team this offseason? You know, it's tough to guess. It's tough to guess. 
very easy to say, oh, they're going to bring in more Kansas City Royals. Whit Merrifield. Like, Here's Whit Merrifield. Salvador Perez. Yeah. I think Whit Merrifield is a really good fit for this team. Yeah. I keep bringing up on uh, on our podcast, I like an Austin Hedges signing for the catchers. Okay. Uh, great defensively. Obviously, he's not a great hitter. But um, those are kind of the kind of moves that I'd like to see them make. Um, are there going to be big, splashy ones? I wouldn't expect that, but you never know. You never know. But uh, I'm uh, waited with bated breath to see uh, what t- trades. I think, you know, there could be some interesting trades made. I think that my prediction is you'll, you, there will be some, whoa, they yeah. traded him? Yep. That'll happen this offseason. Yeah, I think that's for sure. I'll give you one that I read from Anthony Castrovince at uh, MLB.com. Um, the Braves need arms to help round out the bull, the the starting pitching depth. So a couple of pillow contracts to reunite high school classmates, mm. Jack Flaherty and Lucas Giolito to join Max Freed on the Atlanta staff uh, to rebuild their value after being dealt at the deadline. You're forgetting one name that would have to be a part of that situation, <laughs> and that is Ronaldo Lopez would also have to go there because those two guys are tied at the hip. That's true. That's true. Yeah, Giolito's not allowed to go anywhere without Ronaldo Lopez. That's a good point. Yeah. So, um, All right, man. Thank you. Enjoy the offseason. All right. See you, Steve. See you. That's uh, Chuck Garfrine. I thought that was kind of cool. I like that idea of Flaherty and Giolito. Maybe Giolito signs a two-year deal or a three-year deal or something, goes down to Atlanta, um, but Flaherty, I think Flaherty needs a one-year pillow contract. That's a big arm, Jack Flaherty. I know he doesn't throw as hard as he used to, and there were mixed results in Baltimore once he got there, but it's, I find it hard to imagine him being just toast at this point in his career, especially the kind of competitor he is. But He was a dude in St. Louis, man. Whew. Serious, uh, serious chops for a while there. All right, Sahad of Sharma will join us in about 15 minutes to talk hardcore Cubs. Got a, a couple of uh, phone callers on here that we might try and squeeze in. But I also want to do this. First base options for the Cubs. One in-house, one out. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Of the house. I almost said outhouse. That's not correct. But we'll do those next here on Hit and Run with me, Matt Spiegel, on 670 The Score. Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel, Sunday mornings on The Score. 
Well, certainly, you know, Cody's a free agent, so you've got a a uh, five-tool player. Um, you know, obviously, in the years prior to coming to the Cubs, he had, you know, had a partial performance due to the just lack of strength. You know, he had surgery, broken leg, all those things. But I, I think it's pretty evident that when you have youth and you're 28, you're a rare free agent. You have a lot of options. But when he came to Chicago, he just feasted on major league pitching. And um, really, uh, you know, I think Chicago got the comforts of a full belly. So they're going to have to loosen their belts to keep Bellinger. <laughs> Scott Boris, everybody. The man holds court. If you don't know, he's got a staff of writers. And every year at the GM meetings, he goes with a few of his associates. One of them brings a wooden box, a big wooden box. And they stand in the lobby of the hotel, almost always, wherever the meetings are. And that associate puts the wooden box down upside down, and Scott Boris stands on it. He legitimately stands on a soapbox and hawks his wares, which are all of the most expensive players in Major League Baseball's free agent class, and he does it with jokes. A lot of jokes. And it's pretty entertaining, i got to be honest. It's so, they're so bad. They're just horrifically dad. They're so much worse than the worst dad jokes. They really are. And it's, it, it's actually pretty entertaining, i got to be honest. But, you know, among the people that he joked about was a potential... Chicago Cubs free agent target for first base. So here's one of the players he talked about. And that player's name is Reese Hoskins. Reese Hoskins is a free agent and was a member of the Philadelphia Phillies. He tore his ACL in March and missed their entire season. During the playoffs, Reese Hoskins was working out at the Phillies facility trying desperately to become available as the postseason went on. And he was probably going to be activated and put on the World Series roster by the Philadelphia Phillies. If you're saying, man, I've heard that before. That sounds like Kyle Schwarber in 2016. That's exactly the model they were kind of looking at and dreaming about. But Reese Hoskins, now a free agent at the age of 29 and maybe he's 30 now i know he's going to he was la- last year 30 oh, in 24 days oh he's 30 in 24 days okay so it would be 247 days okay oh thank you um reese hoskins has had some big big years had a 34 homer season in 2018 a 29 homer season his last two healthy years 27 homers and 30 homers 864 ops four straight years of an 800 ops 794 in the full season of 2022. And then there is what he has done in the postseason for the Phillies. In the 2022 postseason, the only postseason in which he has played, he hits six home runs. So he's one of those Phillies who rises to the postseason occasion and bombs. And he's a pretty darn good defensive first baseman. Here's Scott Boris talking about Reese Hoskins. Basically, Reese got a chance to really get ramped up almost to be World Series ready in Clearwater because the Phillies wanted to add him to their World Series roster. So he is way ahead of his conditioning thing and really very much back to full speed. 
So I think that, you know, the power of Reese is leadership. All those things are really, really demonstrated in a major market and on championship levels, hitting championship pitching. So I think Reese's pieces fits all team puzzles. All right. He's a good player, though. He's a really good player. And he will need to sign a version of what Cody Bellinger signed, the pillow contract that I was just referencing last segment when talking about Flaherty or talking about people like that. Sign a one-year deal, increase the value, and then hit the market again. I would assume that's what Reese Hoskins is going to need to do. So do you want Reese Hoskins to play first base? The Chicago Cubs depth chart, as we look at it on Roster Resource, now owned by Fangraphs, includes at first base Matt Mervis. It does not include people who were there last year, like Eric Hosmer or Trey Mancini. It could theoretically include Jamer Candelario. Maybe Jamer Candelario, a free agent now, is an opportunity, is somebody you want to bring back to play first, to play third, to be a lefty bat. Big moment in the life and career of Jamer Candelario to get absolutely as much as possible. I don't think it's going to be a fit for the Cubs. I think you want to aim higher if you're going to sign for a multi-tier deal, a multi-year deal. I don't think Jamer is that guy. I mean, if Jamer wants to sign short because he likes it here, that certainly could be an option. But I don't imagine that's going to be the case. Yeah, I mean, Matt Mervis, we have seen. Jarrett Young, we have seen. You know, people like that. But they need a first baseman. I don't think Patrick Wisdom is going to be on this roster on opening day. It's an interesting situation for Wisdom because there is still salary control for Wisdom, which is kind of crazy, right? Does he still have another another two years of salary control? He's got two control? more years of uh, arbitration, yeah. Two more years of arbitration for Patrick Wisdom. So it certainly is somebody you could keep around as a backup and a right-handed power pinch hitter. But I like the idea of Reese Hoskins. Another option that came up just this past week at first base was Christopher Morell. Here's what Jed Hoyer had to say about Christopher Morell getting a look at first base. Yeah, we've talked a lot. I mean, it's just it's an ongoing conversation. But, you know, I think we talked a lot about finding him a home. And I do think we want to, you know, give him some work at first and see how he uh, reacts to that. Um, He's shown he can play third, he's shown he can play second, he can play in the outfield, but you know, finding a, a home for him is something that, that would be really valuable, um, and so that's something we've talked about. So, interesting. I did, I did notice that he also played third base this week in a Winter League game. He did. Yep, he did. So, it's not just first base. By the way, Jared Young claimed by the Cardinals five days ago. Thank you for the texter for hipping me to that. I missed it as I was dissecting whether Tevin Jenkins would move back to left guard when Nate Davis becomes healthy in like two weeks. Yeah, you kind of have to do dual things now these kinds of days, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how about those bulls, huh? I was trying to figure out whether Josh Blackwell would be activated. Yeah, where you heard about the Greg Stroman cut. That was tough. They brought him back. Oh, did they? Yeah, they be, don't worry. Thank don't worry. God. I got all that knowledge for you. I'm, I'm available, okay, for all that. So thank you for hitting me to the Jared Young claim <laughs> that I missed. But, yeah, I, I like Hoskins a lot. I like that idea a lot. And it makes all the sense in the world. That's if you can't trade for Pete Alonzo. If you trade for Juan Soto, where's he playing? Teach him to play first base? Or does he DH for you? So that's why 
having Morrell learn first base is fascinating to me. That would theoretically increase his value whether you keep him or whether you trade him. I think from the outside, there could be a lot of other teams saying, oh, I didn't realize Morrell could play first. Yeah, we could put him there. We could put him anywhere. So that's a good idea to do that and have people add that to their list. And if you could actually get him comfortable there, well, then that could be really good. I, I will say that some of his baseball instincts and baseball awareness as a defender, wherever he has been, has been questionable. Guy needs to play somewhere and play for a long time and have it click. First base, I need somebody very, very aware. There, there's a lot of big decisions that actually happen at first base. You know? A lot of, a lot of big choices. And it's a lot of times the first baseman is one of the captains of the infield. Now, on this Cubs team, obviously you've got Dansby and you've got, you've got Nico, so you don't really need that. But I, I don't know if, if Morell's baseball awareness as it stands is something I love at first base, to be honest with you. Let's talk about that and a bunch of other Cubs issues with the great Sahad of Sharma from The Athletic. He'll join us next on Hit and Run here on 670 The Score. Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel, Sunday mornings on The Score. He's unbelievably sharp. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. This is you know, as simple as I can say it, unbelievably sharp. I think that, you know, talking to him about, um, about clubhouse stuff, blending, you know, the clubhouse with analytics and, and the best way to, to get the most out of people um, was, you know, incredibly impressive. And this, his sense of, like, what his job entails and the responsibility of his job, um, it really stood out to me. Um, this guy wants to handle every single part of the process. Um and you know, views that as, as his responsibility, and, and to me, that's really impressive the way he the way he views his chair. Um, you know, so much more than making a bunch of in-game moves. It's so it's he he views like the totality of of everything as as his responsibility, and talk about that like an amazingly articulate way. That's a really well chosen cut from Jed Hoyer's meeting with the press in Arizona about Craig Council by our Sean Sears, executive producer of Hit and Run. My name is Matt Spiegel. I'm with you with an opportunity for some hot stove baseball conversation. An absolute delight in the middle of November. And whose morning is it better for me to disturb than that of Sahadev Sharma? You know, like whose family life did I choose to try and disrupt in November on a Sunday morning, damn right, I chose Sahad of Sharma from The Athletic. Good morning, sir. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. Hey, thanks Thanks for calling. I appreciate you uh, <laughs> disturbing my morning. It's yeah. only all I'm doing is you're helping me procrastinate raking leaves. So my son thanks you. Oh, good, good. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you'd be showing him the leaf raking rope at yeah, this point? exactly. Oh, yeah. Do, do you have a little mini rake for him? Does he have a smaller one for you? Oh, or... no, he's, I mean, he's 12 now. Oh. He's big enough. He's growing up. He's, he, yeah. he, I, I, 
like the the whole point is he needs to take over. I need to <laughs> have these Sunday mornings to just yes. waste away. Yeah, right? I would like think that point. that transition is imminent. I think where where you go to supervisor, couch bound supervisor, I think is is your next task. Um, all right, so how of what do we make of that description right in there um, of uh, Jed like just being. Not in awe, that's wrong, but being in love. He's certainly in love with the way that Craig Council views his chair as manager. I found that part of it fascinating. What do you make of, uh, of that? Yeah, I think ultimately what this is is you're, you're looking at someone that <clears throat> Jed Hoyer believes is arguably the best manager in baseball, right? He, he respects every aspect of what he does uh, from that seat, whether it's handling the media, whether it's how he handles the clubhouse and, of course, the in-game tactic. He believes there was a line at one point how he, he talked about how he's been watching him like kind of in awe over the years, right? And, and it's the type of manager that the Cubs point to. When, when they made the change from Joe Madden to David Ross, the types of things they were hoping David Ross could get out of his team were kind of in the back of their mind. It was like, go look at what Milwaukee does. How do they do all that with – what we believe is a less talented roster than what we have. Uh, hmm. And and who was the man do, doing that? It was Craig Council, right? Yeah, so, you, you, know what's, you know what's fascinating is like what this does to the discourse of manager value, which is conversations that we've been in for decades about how many wins can a, does a manager really mean? Here's, here's an incredibly smart front office telling you, oh, we think that they're worth a lot of wins, actually. Yeah, no, I... Here's what, how I'd look at it. I, I believe there are a few obvious difference makers in that seat. Uh, I don't like there, I also believe that there are a handful that actively harm you. I, I think David Ross was kind of in the middle there. It's like, this guy's not killing the team. I, I'm sure there's going to be some fans screaming at their radio right now when I say that, but that's like, that's how most people felt. He wasn't actively harming them with his decisions, but he wasn't a difference maker. And I believe that he has the potential to get there, right? Every manager, if they, they take the right advice from a front office and take learn from their years in that seat, they, they can improve. I, I absolutely believe that because he has a lot of the skills that you need uh, outside. I felt his weakness was the in-game stuff, right? But, it, I mean, there, there are a few difference makers. I think Council is the clear leader in my mind. I heard you talking about it. I kind of agree with you. Bochy's up there. I guess you could throw Kevin Cash in there. Dave Roberts has had a lot of success. I, I mean, the one to me that stands out are Council and Bochy, right? With Francona retired, I, I, like nobody stands out when I watch them manage. Um, and it's, it's also really hard to pick that apart because sometimes you'll be watching a game and have – 10% of the information, right, that, yes. that the manager has. But I, I think those are the two names that stand out currently as active managers. It's it's Bochi and Council, and it's really hard to uh, pick apart anyone else's standout, in my opinion. I fielded a that's, really – That's what you're paying for. Yes, yes, that you're paying for that difference. So let's find out what it is. I fielded a great question from a caller in, in the first hour of, like, what is Council going to bring to bullpen decisions that Ross did not? And I don't – I don't know the answer yet, um, but, you know, it, it, in terms of what he looks at in terms of a matchup, like do we know is he a swing plane versus pitch shape guy as opposed to certain numbers or other things? And, like, the, the, the touch of knowing whether a guy is ready to go or not really ready to go, those kind of things. Do you have any sense for that stuff yet? 
Yeah, that's what I mean. I'm fascinated to really understand his process. I didn't like. I thought a lot of the issues with the bullpen this year were more on personnel uh, and the need to kind of. It took a little while to figure out who the right guys were, which hasn't been a trend for Ross uh, when he managed. I felt that was a trend with Joe Madden year after year until like May 15th. It was like who are the who are the key guys right hmm. in this bullpen? I felt like Ross figured that out quickly. It was hard this year because. The guys just didn't step up. I mean, Julian Merriweather had a couple bad outings to start his season, so it was hard to trust him right away. But then he earned that trust, right? Mark Leiter Jr. was pretty quickly earned that that spot. Fulmer was a mess and then got back in good graces. So I, I think it's a – I don't think that was Ross's biggest weakness, so I'm not sure if this is like where, where Council completely trumps him. But I think it's pretty obvious that, that Craig Council was able to maximize his roster – beyond just the bullpen right he, yeah. he he really understood matchups remember when you had the expanded 40-man rosters uh in in september and you could go all the way up to 40 it was always milwaukee that would maximize that and then and then people were just like blown away at how council was a mastermind at using every single player and it, I, you know he kind of lost a little bit of that edge with that with the rosters reducing hmm but he still seems to be a brilliant manager, right? But I thought, like, that's where he really was shining in those September months. Was, he's always putting together a great September, and he's maximizing every tiny piece. He just really understands the value of every player and seems to quickly pick it up. So maybe, and I, this is total hindsight on my part because I was I backed, I backed Ross the way he kind of rode his players towards the end because I felt like he had to kind of, step on the throat of the competition, it didn't work, right? So I'm hindsighting this, but maybe council notices, like, I got to give Canario more at bats. I got to sit Dansby Swanson for a couple for a day and let him reset and, and get some time off. Uh, the regulars can get a day off uh, at the end of August, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. That didn't really happen. Uh, and like I said, I'm rewriting history and, and using hindsight to my advantage, but that's what counsel's for. Maybe he would have seen those things. I, I think that's completely fair hindsight. And it's fascinating because as we lived that September collapse, Canario came up and didn't play, didn't play, didn't play. Had the grand slam, didn't play the next day. I was like, what? It, it just, it's some things drove you a little crazy. Um, Luke Little all of a sudden looked like, is this a lefty they should be using in huge moments? And maybe so, maybe not. I know we had some bad ones after a couple of really good ones up top, but you can't help but notice that Tori Lovello gets Andrew Salfrank, what, on September 15th? And he becomes the dominant lefty reliever for their entire postseason run, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I... I, I agree. I again, I'm. I, I feel bad, like because I just say my whole thought process was ride the guys that got you here. Yeah, and that that proved to be wrong, right? So I I feel like I'm I'm totally second guessing, and I'm I'm. Uh, I, you know, I'm being duplicitous here, but no, no, I no. You're just you're, you're, right? you're, you're just but. look you're just looking at it. But but somebody somebody to help the front office figure out what the hell they have and how to right. use it. I think there's a blame to be spread there. Like, should they have called those guys up earlier? Because it, they're, they're, all of a sudden, Ross got tossed this label that he doesn't play the young guys. It's like, he played Matt Mervis every day when he came up. He yep. played Christopher Morrell every day when he came up. That was in May. Mm-hmm. Very different May and September when you're talking about breaking in a youngster. All, all that said, you know, maybe you have to be willing to take the risk. Maybe you just have to 
you know, try and switch things up. Maybe you have to have more feel as to what you have on your roster. I like, those are all things that, like I said, council gets a lot of credit for. So I, I also don't think like, I don't think this move says as much about Ross as it does about council. I think that's, I really think that should be the focus, right? We can talk about all the human aspects, and I, I agree with how what you were talking about before because there is a feeling, you know, here where uh, a guy that was handpicked by the organization was done dirty. Yeah. <laughs> but also, if you're just talking about wins and losses, it's the right move. Like, we, we just yeah. talked about this, right, Matt? We both agree he's clear-cut one of the best managers it in is. the game. It, it, it is, and, it, and it's just a matter of how much maintenance will need to take place to deal with any of those feelings, um, and we'll, right, we'll see right. we'll see how that goes. Um, um, great stuff with Sahad of Sharma. What, what do you what, – what's on your list to ask about tomorrow when Craig Council gets introduced in a press conference at 10 a.m.? What, what do you want to know more about? From him. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, there's going to be stuff over the course of uh, the next few months that I'd, I'd like to get a better understanding about. But tomorrow, I'm very curious about how much input he has in building the roster, what he sees in the roster that he faced last year, uh, what what sort of areas he's really focused on and improving. Uh, we'll see how willing he is to be open about that stuff. But I think he'll definitely answer what he saw from across the way last year. What type of team does does he think he's inheriting? Uh, what what strengths does he did he see last year? And like I really am curious, like how much say does he have in roster building? How much say did he have? How much say will he have? Right? And then what what does he want? What does he want to do this this winter? How does he want to build this team? What are, what are the things he likes to lean on? Is it is it specific to this team, or does he have certain things that he always wants? I I need this. Hmm. I, I really like to have this. I, I don't know him well, you know. Yeah. I think I've been in like two scrums with the guy. Never covered him as a player, so I, I don't know him well yet. Uh, everything that I've heard is he doesn't uh, suffer nonsense, so uh, <laughs> that, that'll be it'll be fun to when when there's an awkward question uh, thrown his <laughs> way and then it gets uncomfortable. But uh, uh, hopefully that's not me doing doing that. Hopefully it's Patrick. <laughs> hopefully it's Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let Patrick <laughs> deal with that. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm I'm really interested. I, I and I don't think we get all the answers tomorrow. I think I'm really curious to see how he handles us, what what he shares, how willing he is to go in depth on on moves that he made. Because I mean, I look at our jobs as as just like trying to learn and then explain that what we've learned to the listener or reader, right? Yes. So it, I'm always trying to understand these things better. Uh, I don't have all the answers. I hope they can explain these things to me, whether I agree with it or not. Right. That's, that's what I'm always looking to do. So I'm, I, I mean, we we just spent 10, 15 minutes talking about how great of a manager he is. So I'm very curious about his process and how, whatever it may be, whatever it is day to day. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how, how willing he is to dive into those things. Great stuff, Sadov. Thank you so much. Um, enjoy the leaf raking and, and become the supervisor. I have faith that you can, <laughs> by the end of the season, elevate yourself to merely supervisor. Yes, excited for that transition. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you. That's Sadov Sharma from The Athletic. Um, I'm really glad he gave voice to that. Think about it. I often refer to myself as being in the knowledge acquisition business, and so is Sahadev. Smart as hell, but in the knowledge acquisition business. It's an exciting moment for all of us to get to be around a guy who many people think is the best manager in baseball. Going to learn a lot of stuff. In that regard, what do you want to know from Craig Council tomorrow morning? Let's throw open the phone lines. What do you want to hear from Craig Council? What do you 
think he should do and should assert himself with as opposed to some things that David Ross did. Are, are there some September things that you think council would have done differently? We saw it have just went there with us. This is a good opportunity to talk about it. I'm here with you for another hour on Hit and Run on 670. The score of the phone lines are open at 312-644-6767. Tune in tomorrow at 10 a.m. for Craig Council's introductory press conference as the new manager of the Cubs. Bernstein and Holmes will be a part of our team coverage, broadcasting live at Wrigley Field from 10 to 2, and will be joined by Council and other guests. That's all tomorrow on 670 The Score, sponsored by your local Chicago Northwest Indiana Hyundai dealers. I will text the associate producer and make sure he comes back in to help out. It's Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel on 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.